Uh, good morning. Parashat Shemot describes for us the early life of Moshe and the maturity of Moshe, and the very early life of Moshe. Of course, it's a story that we're all very well familiar with. His mother takes him, places him in a teva, and in turn lets him out onto the Nile River, hoping sister. to ensure his life. His sister watches from a distance. His mother is the one who's vatitz benehu and sets, sets it in motion. The description in the Pesukim, when Bat Paro comes to ultimately save him, is a famous one, maybe for the wrong reason. The Pasuk says, Vateret Bat Paro, Lerhot al Hayor, Venaarotea Holechot al Yad Hayor. Pasuk describes how Bat Paro, the daughter of Paro, comes to wash herself at the side of the river, the Yeor, and her Naarot, those who are helping her together with her on the side. She sees that teva, that basket, which is holding Moshe in it, in the suf, in the reed area. She sends her ama and takes the teva. What is that ama? So all of us, I imagine, are familiar with the Midrash, which is the second interpretation cited by Rashi. The Midrash, Sammy, you want to help us? The Midrash says, The Midrash says that the description of the word ama, the translation is that it's her arm. An arm is known in Hebrew as an ama, and as a result, the description of her outstretching her arm, and then miraculously, her arm, like Stretch Armstrong, goes outward and is able to grab the teva. That's the second interpretation of Rashi. Rashi is very clear, this is Midrash. Rashi is very clear that grammatically, according to Diktuk, this doesn't read easily in the Pasuk, because then the mem in the word amata would have a dagesh in it, it would have a dot in it. The fact that it doesn't makes Rashi believe that the word ama has a different interpretation, a different translation. It's her maidservant, it's the woman who's working together with her. A word we see in the Torah later on, and Ama being a person who is a slave, a servant, who's a female. So the Peshat then in the Pasuk, the simple interpretation which Rashi is well aware of, is that the Bat Paro sends her maidservant to go grab the Teva. The Midrash, which Rashi for some reason injects over here, tells us that there's this description of an arm which is outstretched. Why does Rashi quote a Midrash when he had the Peshat in place? It seems clear that the Midrash is purposed specifically over here to teach a lesson. In other words, if Rashi were to just quote the Midrash, we might say maybe that's the way he's interpreting the Pasuk. Over here he's clear. It's not the interpretation, not the translation. The fact that he's quoting it then opens for us the responsibility to interpret well, why does the Midrash say that? What's the lesson to be learned from that? And that's the next stage. The next stage is what is the lesson from that Midrash? So let's for a moment get into the Midrash internally. Get into that. If I tell you a story and I say, but it's only a parable, doesn't mean you can't ask questions. You're supposed to ask questions about the internal description of that story. Let me ask you a very simple question. If Moshe is some 30 amot plus away from this woman, from Bat Paro, what is she thinking, according to the Midrash's retelling, in outstretching her arm? Does she know? Has she had these superhuman capabilities in the past? What's going through her mind in that moment that possesses her to outstretch her arm and then bring forth from HaKadosh Baruch Hu, of course, some miraculous outstretching. That's the message of the Midrash. It's a description, it's a lesson about how each of us are responsible to, even out of the stretch of our hand, even when it seems out of reach, if it's something you should be doing, 
then you do as much as you can. The rest, the gap, the hole where it seems as if I won't be able to pull this off, that's when HaKadosh Baruch that's when God's miracle comes in. But the initial stage of out of grasp, of out of reach, outstretching, because I know that's the right thing to do, because I realize that's my responsibility, but what are you dealing with? It's impossible, why would you deal with that at all? That's the message of the Midrash. It's a description in each of our lives, in those situations where we say, I can't study Torah. Do you know my background? I'm not like Rabbi Akiva, who had a difficult background, but at least he had the potential. He had a wife who was rooting for him throughout. He was already impoverished, so he had nothing to lose. Me, I'm not able to do that. Do I look like what? That's the description. But to have you set forth your arm to the extent that you can, have you maybe not gotten to the part that's out of reach, have you begun the part? Have you dedicated yourself to the part that you're responsible for, that you know you're responsible for? I mentioned once or twice that when I was younger, one Saturday night I was in one of my rabbi's homes and he had uh, pictures of rabbis on his walls. Always a little bit uh, scary to look at uh, rabbis with long beards and their eyes piercing. And we were looking at them together with some other boys and the rabbi said, why are you looking in the mirror? So I looked at the rabbi, so what do you mean looking in the mirror? He says, why are you looking in the mirror? So, uh, uh, do we look that old? At that point, I still had hair. You know, uh, what, do we, what do you mean? He said, you're looking at who you will be. In other words, he spoke to each of us and taught us that lesson. So distant, so far from us. Who are we? Simple young American boys. His lesson to us was the lesson of Atishlah <laughs> Have you, are you, setting forth your hand? It might be that, that naturally you won't be able to outstretch it. But have you done your responsibility? In truth, Sefat emet, absolutely. It's a midrash, wow. metaphorical midrash. I made that point in the first moment, right? That's right. That's what I said. Often misunderstood, unfortunately, right? The truth is that Sefat emet in Parashat Terumah cites from his grandfather, Hidushe Harim, who in turn cited from the Gemara in Masechet Megillah and Davava Mutbet. The Gemara over there has a quotation in the name of Rabbi Yitzhak. It's also a well known statement oftentimes also overlooked the significance. The statement of Rabbi Yitzhak goes like this, Im yomar lecha adam, if a person says to you, Yagati velo masati, I worked hard and I didn't find, translated usually as I wasn't successful. Altamen, don't believe him. If a person says to you alternatively, lo yagati, I didn't work hard, umasati, and I found, translated generally speaking as, and I was successful, altamen. If he tells you, I worked hard and I found I was successful, ta'amen. So the question, quite simply, that Chidushe Harim and many others ask is that the words, if you're familiar with the Hebrew words, don't match up. Yigi'ah means hard work, arduous labor. Misi'ah, the second pedic of Masechet Bava Metiyaz, Elu Misiot, is something you just come upon, something that just is beherifayin, just beherifayin, it just happens. They don't match up. We don't work. You know, you, um, I was on the beach, and I was, and I worked so hard, and I found the hundred dollar bill. You didn't work so hard to find the hundred dollar bill. You happened upon the hundred dollar bill. So what does it mean that yagati umasati in the context of Talmud Torah? I found. You didn't find. You achieved it. The description is that in each of our lives, certainly in the context of Talmud Torah, but in everything that we do, we work as hard as we can. We're dedicated to a cause even when the cause is out of reach. We assume, we, we realize, we accept 
that when we got up to the out of reach zone, that's where we hope that HaKadosh Baruch Hu pushes us a little bit beyond. But the initial stage, the Yigiyah is what we do. The Messiah, the so to speak miraculous that gets interjected, that gets placed by God, that's what we hope for. But have you done that Yigiyah? Are you dedicated to that? Uh, Rabbi Prague once told me when I was younger, he said that he studied in Yeshivat Kol Torah with Hacham Yaakov Yosef Alav HaShalom. That's the, one of the sons of Hacham Ovadia Yosef. He said he remembered his father telling him that he was on Beit Din, he was dealing with serious issues on more than one occasion, and out of thin air, what popped into his head was a Mi'iri in Masechet Zivahim that he hadn't studied, he hadn't set his eyes on in 30 to 40 years. And he couldn't interpret and understand it in any way other than Umasati. It was a description, it was an understanding for Hacham Ovadiyah. This is, I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm dedicated to this case. I'm thinking about the litigants, thinking about the widow, thinking about the whatever the case is specifically. I'm not going to, in this moment, know everything. I'm doing my best. The assumption, the hope is, then nishtar beva yada, then her hand becomes outstretched. Then there's the mitziah from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. In truth, Sefat Emet himself attributes it to a different midrash. It's a midrash by the menorah. Pasuk at the beginning of Parashat Beha'alot Echan, Bimidbar Perik Het describes how the menorah was, Asher hera oto, HaKadosh Baruch Hu showed it to Moshe. Ve'zeh menorah Says the midrash, Melamed, it teaches us that, Moshe couldn't envision what the menorah looked like. HaKadosh Baruch Hu showed it to him, but he still couldn't figure out how to chisel it properly in one piece of gold to make it right. He hadn't been to the old city and hadn't seen it in that box yet, or he hadn't been to the Vatican. He hadn't, wasn't able to understand it. As a result, he took a large piece of gold and at the end threw it into a fire, and out came the menorah. Asks Sefat Emet, quite simply, why did HaKadosh Baruch Hu show him if it was clear this was going to be too difficult for him to actually do, unless he suggests it's the same message again. The message of Bat Paro, metaphorically, a midrash, purposefully, not to tell Peshatim Pesukim, Peshatim Pasuk, the simple interpretation is the maidservant. Rashi himself told us that. You heard that, Sammy? Instead, there's a lesson to be learned. Look at this young lady and understand what she is exemplifying, what Moshe was supposed to do with that menorah, what each of us are supposed to do in our lives. We oftentimes tell our children, reach for the stars, and we don't actually mean it. But we should mean it. And we should mean it for ourselves, certainly in the context of our ruhaniyut, our growth in the spiritual sense. We should just as much as we encourage our children, encourage ourselves to dedicate ourselves to growth against all odds. Even when something seems like it's out of reach, literally, with Bat Paro, with the daughter of Paro, we nonetheless strive for it. We do the part that we know we're responsible for doing. And we hope and we're certain that the last stage, the nishtalbev, the, the outstretching, the stretch Armstrong, miraculous, the menorah coming out miraculously, the messiah, the understanding of the Torah, which I couldn't have thought about, that's what's to come afterwards. Yamsuf indeed. If you think for a moment about the imagery, thank you, Eli, for leading me into it, the imagery of Kiryat Yamsuf, first and foremost, I'll just mention, I was about to finish, everybody's going to kill you now, Eli. <laughs> First and foremost, think about the imagery of Kiryat Yamsuf. Ve'ata, Moshe is told by HaKadosh Baruch Hu, harem et matecha, pick up your mate, ve'unte et yadecha, and outstretch your hand. You listening? Outstretch your hand, and that's how the water will break. The miracle will come forth by 
outstretching your hand. I wonder if the rabbis have that in mind as well. They're thinking about Moshe and retrospectively saying it kind of began in terms of dedication, in terms of understanding of our responsibility back then. And of course, as the Midrash says, Nachshon ben Aminadav jumped in. What was he thinking? What was Am Yisrael thinking? HaKadosh Baruch Hu turns to Moshe and says, tell Am Yisrael to stop praying. Tell them to move forward. What are they? We start our national identity in a moment of it's impossible but do what you're supposed to do. But I don't know how I'm gonna reach that. It's out of grasp, it's out of sight, it's out of... But dedicate yourself to doing it nonetheless. I'll just conclude with the specifics of this Batparo. It was her father who said, you have to kill all first, all boys of Am Yisrael. Very daughter of the man who commanded and demanded that for all of Egypt, she, literally against all odds, knowing this is my responsibility, this is what I'm supposed to do, sets her mind to saving that baby. So the Midrash, ironically, or maybe beautifully, uh, uh, Alan, I'll conclude with this, brings us back to Peshat in that respect. She, in a moment where she's out acting out of bounds in, of what it would make sense for her to do, is nonetheless successful. So the Midrash gives us a story of an outstretched arm, I might say it more simply, against the demands of her father, the ominous, scary Paro. She does what she knows she needs to do. She encourages each of us, and Moshe Rabbeinu, and Am Yisrael in the future, but literally each of us, to stretch our arm, to even though we can't figure out how we'll be fully successful, or what we'll find, and how it's going to come to us, we have a certain bitachon in that respect, but we're dedicated to the part that we can and should be doing. Baruch Adonai Amen. 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 Amen